Hi, and welcome to the Lighthouse Church Podcast, where we're diving deeper into God's Word and doing our best to help encourage you in your walk with God. Thanks for joining us. So today I'm going to start off reading this poem by Linda Ellis called The Dash. It says, I read of a man who stood to speak at a funeral of a friend, and he referred to the dates on the tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of birth and spoke of the following date with tears. But he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time they spent alive on earth, and now only those who love them know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that can still be rearranged. To be less quick to anger and show appreciation more. And love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering that this special dash might only last a little while. So when your eulogy is being read with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say about how you lived your dash? Like I said, this was a poem by Linda Ellis. If you'd like a copy of it, you can go to their website, thedashpoem.com. I'm plugging that so I don't get in trouble for reading it here today. <laughs> I didn't realize until preparing for this how many different dashes there are. And the dash that we're talking about here is called the N-E-N dash dash. Uh, in this situation, is a small punctuation mark. That's all we need to know. We don't even really need to know that. It's a small punctuation mark that indicates spans or differentiation, where it may replace and, to, or through. In this poem and for this message today, uh, the dash represents a lifespan. The years from birth to death. So if you're taking notes in here this morning, like you take your pen and paper, your notes on your device, whatever you're doing, and I'd like you to write down the year that you were born. And then following that, put a dash. And then after the dash, four question marks. Most people know the year of the birth. Now we deal with children uh, and people in, in African countries and villages like that, they don't know when they were born. We have orphans in our home. They really don't know the year they were born. We just give them a birth date. And that's the way it is over there. You know, I ask them, when were you born? I was born June such and such. Come back next year, I was born January. So. <laughs> but here in the States, we should have a record. You should have a record of when you were born. So write that down. And then a dash. And then four question marks. Now... Most people know the year of their birth, but the year of their death is an unknown. It's a mystery, if you will. And that's why the dash is so important. It represents the life you're living and will have lived, the decisions and the actions that you are making, as well as the inactions and indecisions. That dash represents it all. So to read the last line of that poem again. So when your eulogy is being read with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say about how you lived your dash?
when it comes to running, we talk about the 40-yard dash. We talk about the 100-yard dash. Usually when we talk about running, the dash is a, is a quick. It's a, a short amount of time. It's a speedy run. And really, to be honest with you, it's, it's pretty well over before you know it. It's over before it starts. 100-yard dash, the average speed, they say, of a runner is about 15 seconds to run 100 yards. For me and others, probably about 20, 25. A little bit slower, but they say average about 15. Where they don't really run the 100-yard dash anymore, and the game's 100 meters now. You know, America, they say we're behind. We're not on that metric system now. We're on the old English system. I like it myself, because that's what I grew up with. But anyhow, that's another side point. But in the grand scheme of things, your life is barely a blip, barely a dot, on the timeline of eternity. When you think about the scheme of things, the grand scheme of things, your life, ever how long it is, is a very small part of it. James 4, verse 14 says, Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. But even though life is short here on this earth for us, at times, it may seem like an eternity, especially if we're going through trying, difficult circumstances. It seems like eternity. And it's looking at our situation, it's almost like looking at it, at our life under a magnifying glass. It's just magnified right there. That's all you can see. It's huge. The problems are enormous. You can't bear anymore. Your life, your pain, your problems are all that matter at the moment. That's all you can see in the grand scheme of things. That's all we can see. And you may even, as I have done, cry out to God, when will it ever end? The pain, the hurt, the trials. When will it ever end, God? But if you're facing hard times today, I'm going to tell you this. This too shall pass. Whatever it is you're going through, whatever trial you're facing, whatever hardship, whatever circumstance, this too shall pass. So this is not going to be a sermon about death. It's actually a sermon about life, the dash, the life, how you want to live it. So be encouraged, remain focused, and by faith, you will finish your race victorious. Today, we're going to talk about your race. That's right. Your race. Your race. How many runners do we have in here? We had two in the first service, and we only had about a dozen people that felt like in here the first service. We got one. We got one. The rest of you, I can hear you now. If you see me running, there's a dog behind me. <laughs> That's pretty much the way it is. That happened to me about two weeks ago. I got called out one night to restore power at a place in Bluffton. I was upset because they already had turned themselves back on. And I had to leave the comfort of my home and my wife to go all the way to Bluffton. And those rascals had already turned themselves back on. So as I got out my truck, put on my gear, put out my cone to go to the house, right between the cars at the garage was this pit bull. And as soon as I saw it, it saw me. 
And here it come. I started screaming like a little girl. The Hispanic family there, the guys, they were like screaming as well. I jumped on my bumper on my truck and went in the back of the truck, banged my knee in the process. <sighs> Did he get you? Did he get you? No, he didn't get me. But I tell you, I was so upset at that point. I felt like Thor because I hit that toolbox. Bam! I was so mad. But it was like when you hit your funny bone, you know, it's like, ah, it's not too funny, is it? It just hurts. That's the way my knee felt. So here I was all aggravated. I must probably cussing under my breath, I have to confess. Just mad walking to restore that power. But, you know, there was a dog behind me. <laughs> it got me jumping. You don't see me just normally jumping in that truck. But the Apostle Paul used illustrations and metaphors about living the Christian life. We read in the scriptures different stories that they used, the stories they told for the people that would understand, just like we would today. The people of Corinth understood what he was saying when he mentioned running a race. There were stadiums throughout this region of southern Greece that were used for the Pan-Hellenic Games that held anywhere between 10,000 and 25,000 people. Can you imagine? These stadiums that they built in the hillside, all these rocks and everything with a little valley, a little stadium where the games, Olympic-style games, were taking place. Various foot races, boxing, wrestling, javelin throw, even chariot races, long jumps were all taking place and there were people anywhere from 10 to 25,000 people surrounding them watching. In 1 Corinthians 9:24, Paul is telling them, so do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. Say self-control. So they do it to obtain a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. See, these people that were, that were training, they were practicing self-control, that were playing in these games, participating in these games, you know what they won? If they won, a little garland wreath that after a few days would die. So their understanding when Paul is writing this, saying they run for a, a, a prize that's perishable, but we are running for an imperishable prize. Therefore, I run in such a way as not to run aimlessly. You know, you don't see Olympic runners just running around like this, do you? They're not running aimlessly. They have self-control. They have discipline. They are focused. They are on a mission. And he goes on to say, I box in such a way as to avoid hitting air. We've got martial, several martial artists in here, boxers, even wrestlers in here. We know about hitting air. It's a lot more fun when you hit something than when you hit air. I mean, it takes, if you give all out, am I wrong? I haven't trained in a while, but when I throw a punch and there's nothing there to stop it, it's like, oh, man, it's like throwing your arm out, you know, throwing a football or baseball or something like that. But when you connect, you feel better. They may not, but you feel better. But he says, I box in such a way as to avoid hitting air. In other words, I hit what I am shooting for. But I strictly discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. He said, I strictly discipline my body. And I make it my slave. Because if you've got a prize that you're racing for, it's worth it. 
It takes discipline. It takes self-control. If you run in that race for that prize, there's some things you have to do. You have to stay focused. You have to discipline yourself. It's not sitting back on the couch, watching TV, eating all the, the sugar and the sweets and all that, and then go out there on race day, here I am. No, you have disqualified yourself. Because there are other people out there, they're going to they're wax the floor with you. Right? Because they're disciplined. They're there to win the race. So he said, run in such a way to win and not to be disqualified. See, if we're not careful, we'll disqualify ourselves. If we're not practicing self-discipline, if we're not practicing control, if we're not remaining focused, then we disqualify ourselves because we're just out there taking up space. So how do we run in such a way to win and not be disqualified? By faith. By faith, I race is the title of the sermon today. But how do we run in such a way as to not be disqualified? By faith. We're going to read Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, and then we're actually going to go back and read Hebrews 11. Do you like the Word of God? Do you love the Word of God? I don't think we get enough of it in, in, in churches at times. But today we're going to read a full chapter, and it's called the faith chapter. And I'm starting to call it the by faith chapter, and you'll understand why in just a minute. But we're going to read Hebrews 12, um, verse 1 and 3 first. It says, Therefore, since we also have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let's rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let's run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking only at Jesus, the originator and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. But in verse 1, in chapter 12, he says, therefore. You know when you hear the preachers always say, if you see a therefore, there's a reason it's therefore, you know? That's right. So, therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. What do you mean a great cloud of witnesses? What are you talking about? Well, the previous chapter, chapter 11, goes through a whole list of them. He's, re he's writing to Hebrews here. We say they really don't know who wrote Hebrews. A lot of people, uh, theologians, attribute it to Paul. But in Hebrews chapter 11, called the faith chapter, verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. This is the New American Standard Version that I'm reading from. We said, for by it, by what? By faith, the men of old gained approval. Approval from who? Approval from God. So this must be something important. This word must be important. Faith. What is this faith? By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith, here we go, by faith, Abel. Right now, I want you to say by faith and in your name. By faith, Jim. By faith, Jeremy. By faith, Cynthia. By faith, James. By faith, Charlie. And what follows after that is a race. And that race, they were talking about by faith, they did this. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. 
by faith, Enoch. And the message translation says, by an act of faith. By faith or by an act of faith. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. Verse 6. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Here's our definition of faith. Just a simple definition of faith. What is faith? Coming to God. He who comes to God must believe that he is. Believe that he is God. And that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So we believe that he is God. And we believe that whatever he tells us to do, if we do it, he'll bring it to pass. That's faith. But it requires an action. So by faith, by an act of faith, by an action, I'm showing that I trust that God is who he says he is and that God will do what he says he'll do. Even though it don't make sense up here, even though I can't see it here, even though I can't understand what he's talking about, you know, that's what God does. God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the the wise. God uses the least most likely people to accomplish his will, to accomplish his work, on this earth you can say you're somebody but I can tell you right now I'm nobody and God chooses to use the nobodies so you can lift yourself up in pride and say I'm somebody but God won't use you (laughs) but if you will just humble yourself before him God will use you God has set a race before you without faith it's impossible to please him so on the flip side of that coin if it says without faith it's impossible to please God on the flip side of that coin I have to believe that by faith I can please God how many of you want to please God? Oh, you know, I want to please God. How many of we always wanted to please our earthly mothers and fathers? Why? Because we love them and there's rewards. You know, if I do good, there's rewards. But I want to please God not just for the reward, but because he has done so much for me. I love him. It's my act of faith, my act of obedience to him. Verse 7 says, by faith Noah. Noah's a good name, right? By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. How foolish did that seem? Here's this guy building this big old, what is a boat? We had no need of it. What is this thing? But it said he did it for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Here we go again. By faith, Abraham. Remember, he's writing this chapter to Hebrews to Israel people they put their lock stock and barrel in their genealogy they were proud of who I came from proud are you you're a Gentile you're a nobody this is our lineage and you can go through the scripture and read it that's when God told me I want you to go read Chronicles I'm like are you kidding me God because this one begat this one and this one begat that one and this one begat that one and I'm like God I feel that you want me to read this so I'm going to read every begat there is I'm not going to skip over any of name that I can't pronounce. I'm going to do my best to read every one of them. And in the middle of that, there was that prayer of Jabez that God spoke to me through as we were expanding our territory into Liberia in West Africa. By faith, Abraham, verse 8, says, When he was called, did what? Obeyed. By going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. Here is God telling this man, I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your land that you're familiar with. And I want, to, want you to go to the land that I'm going to show you. Say, what? 
Do I look like I'm stupid? Who are you to tell me? But it said he obeyed. He obeyed. And we can see now everything else coming after that. Abraham, the lineage, things that God promised to Abraham, he brought to pass. By faith, Abraham lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, following heirs of the same promise, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, his wife, even Sarah. Man, I had to underline this twice because in this translation it jumped out to me. And I want you to hear it carefully. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive. By faith, even Sarah received ability to conceive. Even beyond the proper time of life. How and why? Since she considered him faithful who had promised. Here was this 90-year-old woman, they say. Abraham was old. She was old, past the age of giving birth. But it said she received the ability. God granted her the ability to conceive and give birth at this age. How about you? You think you're too old to do something for God? You think you're too weak to do something for God? You got a handicap? And she said, well, I can't do that because, you know, I have this handicap. I can't do this for God. God will use you. God can use you if you're willing to. To obey him. At first, when Sarah first heard that in that tent, remember what she did? She laughed. Are you kidding me? He's like, your wife Sarah will give birth to a child. and She's in there. Is there another woman named Sarah that he's married to? I don't know. But it says she considered him faithful who had promised. And she received that ability to conceive. Therefore, there was born even of one man and him as good as dead. How would you like that to be said about you? Father Abraham, old man Abraham, just as good as dead, had a son. And through him many descendants, as the stars of heaven in number and innumerable, as the sand which is by the seashore. Verse 13 says, All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that there were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. In other words, God says, move out of your land that you're in right now. But God, I like it here. I've got a good job. I've got family here, and I've got all this. But God said, yeah, but I want you over here. Well, this is where I'm making my land. This is my land of promise right here. And they said, if I leave that, then I can go back to it because that's, what, that's where my heart's at. But it said, these died in faith, having not received their promises. They, they were looking for a better city. They were looking for something else. They were looking for what God, the one that they believe who is God, will give them in the end, who will reward, reward them with. And it says, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Wow. It said, God is not ashamed to be called their God. And for he has prepared a city for them. Is God ashamed to be called your God? A sobering question. The words of your mouth say, I believe in God. I'm a Christian. But your actions show differently. Is God proud of you? Is God pleased to be called your God? When all these people see that, hey, your lifestyle is not, you know, if that's the way God is, I don't want anything to do with God. Have you ever heard that one before? If that's the way your God is, just by judging your lifestyle, I don't want anything to do with God. I can live the way I want to anyhow. 
But it said he was not ashamed to be called their God because they obeyed in faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Remember, he put his son on the sacrifice. This was the one that was promised. And he who had received the promise was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. God considered him faithful to raise the dead. It's like, God, this is the one that you're going to give me uh, generations to come, like the number of the stars of the sky, the sands of the beach, and all that, but you want me to kill him now? Well, you surely must be going to raise him back to life. Or either you're a liar. So he was going to do it. God stopped him. He was found faithful. And that was just a type and shadow of what God was going to do with his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, who died, who was a sacrifice for us. And in him we live, move, and have our being. In his death we die. In his life we are raised up together with him. And by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. By faith, Jacob, do you see the genealogy going by? This father and this son, and then this son by faith, and then this son by faith. You got the begats, and you got the by faiths. That was fresh. I'm going with the by faiths. And by faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. Oh, man, he was doing what he could, leaning on that staff. And by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. And by faith, Moses, man, by faith, by faith, by an act of faith, by an act of faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was unseen. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, and so that he was destroyed, the firstborn would not touch them. By faith they, the children of Israel, passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through on dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the harlot, say what? The harlot has faith? And she's listed with all these people? At least most likely. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. And what more shall I say? So he's writing to them in this letter. What more should I say? I've given you all this. What else can I say to convince you or to change your mind, to get you to know that, hey, there's a God and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It says, for time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and all the prophets who, by faith, conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, 
so that they might obtain a better resurrection. See, here's the thing. We've got to trust in God. We've got to have faith in God. We have to put trust in our dependency in Him, but we have to leave the outcome to Him. Many times we come to God saying, this is the outcome that we want. And then when it doesn't happen the way we wanted it, a lot of times people blame God. Well, if he was such a good God, he wouldn't have done this. But said these were tortured. And they chose to be tortured. Why? Because it's either renounce your God, renounce your God, No, I'm not renouncing my God. Okay. And others experienced mockings and scourgings. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. From what I understand, they were like these sliding boards with big blades at the bottom of it. You're not going to renounce your God? Okay, we'll show you. And they would spread their legs and slide them down and cut them in two. That's what they chose because they were not going to renounce their God. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Does this sound like the outcome that you want? No, but they trusted in God. And they are listed here in this scripture for us. And look what it has to say. Men of whom the world was not worthy. Can you imagine? The world was not worthy of such type. Who loved their God and trusted their God so much. That their outcome was this. And all these having gained approval. How? Through their faith. Gained approval from whom? From God. How? Through their faith. They did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. So we go on in chapter 12. That was the therefore. Do you not... Let's see. Therefore, since we also have such a great a cloud of witness surrounding us, that was that great cloud of witnesses. All those by faith people was a great cloud of witnesses and said, now you, there are four things I want us to glean from this Hebrews 12, 1 through 4, or 1 through 3, and here's the first one. Seeing we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let's rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us, entangles us. Let's rid ourselves of the things that entangle us, our sins, our distractions, our habits that we have in our closet, things that we don't want people to know about. Let's rid ourselves of these things. And, said, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The first thing was, let's rid ourselves of things that entangle us. The second thing is, let's run. Let's rid, then let's run with endurance our race. What is the race that has been set before you? Only you can answer that. And only you can run that race. I can't run that race for you. In my race, I have to stay in my lane. In your race, you have to stay in your lane. What has he said? Trust him to complete it. 
you will gain his approval. And maybe books will be written about you. Maybe not. But he goes on to say, looking only at Jesus, the originator and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So number one, let's rid ourselves of things that entangle us. Two, let's run with endurance our race. Three, let's look only at Jesus. For he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Because listen to this. Where your focus goes, your energy flows. If I'm running a race here, but I change my focus over here, my energy starts flowing that direction too. The older you get, you drive in your car and you look over to the left, what happens? Be careful. Keep your eyes focused. I had a preacher's wife one time. She would ride by. She was like that. We were on the side of the road waving big, and she didn't see nothing. She was, had her eyes focused on her. Made fun of her, but my, that's the thing to do, right? Hopefully she don't have a cell phone now. Maybe she'll keep that in the back seat. But anyhow. Looking only at Jesus, because where your focus goes, your energy flows. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart so number one let's rid ourselves of things that entangle us two let's run with endurance our race three let's look only at Jesus four let's consider him let's consider him and his example why so that we can remain encouraged because Jesus trusted the father Jesus had faith in the words of the father Jesus ran his race by faith and he is our example to focus on when we start to feel tired and weary. Because it says, consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. Why? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider Jesus. He is your example. He endured the scourgings. He endured the mockings for the joy. It says the joy that was set before him. What was the joy that was set before him that allowed him to endure the death and the suffering and the sacrifice? pointing at you are the joy that was set before him that he endured that cross and it's because of that understanding that I received that I am the reason he endured that I'm giving it all to him I'm giving it all to him if he says go I'll go because he's got better in store for me I want to close with a lyrics to a song I wrote Many years ago, I guess you could say it's still in the works. I rocked it out, went to Nashville with it. And Dottie West, his daughter-in-law, you may know who Dottie West is? Country music, Dottie West. Kenna Turner West was the lady who was uh, critiqued my song with me. And I had it going with rock and roll guitars and stuff. But she encouraged me, to, hey, that's more of a southern gospel type feel. Chicka, chicka, chicka. Well, okay. But here it is. It's called Get Ready, Set, Gone. It said, the prize is set. The race is on. Sound like a little George Jones going here, Sawyer Brown. The prize is set. The race is on. The king of glory is cheering for you from his throne. It's time to toe the line. It's time to bring it home. On your mark, get ready. Get set, get gone. The Lord has given us an invitation to begin. A journey that will draw us ever closer unto him. 
equipped with his power and his spirit in our hearts, the questions that remain are if and when we'll ever start. Many precious people hear the call from up above, but they think that this race for them is just too tough. So they pray and pray and pray for the Lord to change his mind. They make excuses telling God that now is not the right time. And God is saying, on your mark, get ready, get set, get gone. The prize is set before you now. The race is on. The King of glory is cheering for you from his throne. So on your mark, get ready, get set, get gone. There are many who are counting on you and on me to run this race with patience and with faithfulness, you see. This race that we're running isn't just for ourselves, so we must take our running shoes from off of the shelf. Looking unto Jesus, he's the author of our faith. We must be obedient, even to the grave. Our Lord endured the cross so that we could be free. So let's finish out our race and share his victory. And God is saying, on your mark, get ready, get set, get gone. He has set a race before each and every one of us. And it's up to us to realize that we have a race, that we have a call, that we have a duty for him at this particular time. Maybe you're here today and you just realize for the very first time, I believe there's something that God wants me to do. That may be you. But you may be in here today saying, I've been on my race. I've been on my journey. And it's been tough. I can see the finish line, but I don't have the energy to get there to it. I am beat. I am whooped. Because you know in those long country races, cross-country races, when you get where you can't be seen, what happens? There's some elbows. I tell you, when we were on the basketball court playing ball, I was down there. I was the tallest boy on our team, the white school. I was the tallest boy. We didn't have any we get in there, got to watch out for those elbows. Get on the football field, get on the bottom of that pile. There's some stuff going on under there in that pile that can't be seen by the referees, right? And there's some little distractions going on under there. And I'm just grabbing at a good part. There's some stuff going on that's not being seen. And there's some things going on in the spiritual realm that you can't see, but you're feeling the effects of it. You're being elbowed. Why? So that you can get distracted. What was that? What was that? What are you doing, man? What you doing? you got a race to run. You can't be distracted by that. But you may be in here being a little distracted today. If that's you, if you're running a race and you have come up against the wall, did you have fallen on your face and you feel like you can't go anymore, I want you to raise your hand right now. If that's you, if you are running a race and you're like, I can't do it. Anybody? Nobody? Everybody's running their race. they got their eyes on Jesus. You're not experiencing any hardships? You what? Hardship? You've been knocked down, but you're not knocked out, right? They come up front. That's why the rest of you didn't raise your hand, because you didn't want people to see that you've got problems or you've got things going on. But here's some people that's going through some stuff. And I want you guys to help me out because there's a great cloud of witnesses that we just read about who's watching, who is cheering, who's already been through their race. They've run theirs, and they're looking down, cheering you on. You're the cloud of witnesses right now. And you best not let them down because they are at their hardships right now. They're at their wits' end right now. They don't know how to go forward right now. 
they're tired right now. All hell has come against them right now. And I want you, it's your job to encourage them. They can, they're almost there. They're almost there, but they can't go more, go anymore. You best not let them down. People depend on them. You're okay in your race. You've run yours. You're still going, but don't let them down. What I want them to do right now is close their eyes because I want them to hear. I want them to remember this moment, what they've heard in their ears. It's your job at the count of three is to scream for them, to cheer them on, to, to encourage them to finish out their race. Are you with me? Don't make me call you down. You better, just like Clemson won yesterday, y'all better cheers a big time. Sorry, Ohio State didn't win yesterday, but you better be doing some cheering in here. Okay? On the count of three, cheer, on, cheer them on to victory. One, two, three. Let's go! You can do it! You can do it! You can do it! You can finish this race. Close your eyes and listen. Listen to this. You can do it. You can do it. You have more than enough. You have the power of God. You have the strength of God. You have the will of God. You've got purpose in Him. You can finish this race. You can do it. Don't give up now. Get up. Get up. Get up. Run that race. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, receive his grace. In Jesus' name, receive his peace. In Jesus' name, receive his strength to continue your race. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you. Be encouraged. Remember that. If you're at your weak moment, close your eyes and just remember what you just heard. You are not alone. In Jesus' name. You are not alone. In Jesus' name. You are not alone. You have purpose. You have a race that has been set before you. I didn't ask for this race. No. I didn't ask to be here. No. But God loved you so much. God loved this world so much. He placed you here for a purpose. I sat in a village in Liberia, West Africa. I could hear the ocean. I'm here, the only white, the whitest thing around. And I'm like, God, how in the world did a white man from one of the poorest towns, Ridgeland, from one of the poorest counties, Jasper, from one of the poorest states, South Carolina, in the United States of America, end up over here in this village. And as I'm sitting there kind of complaining and wondering, the Spirit of God just rose up inside of me and said, I needed somebody I could trust. Couldn't you trust somebody else more qualified? Yeah, I do the religious thing, right? Let me pray about it. Now, when God gives you word, there's no praying about it. There's just action that needs to be involved. The praying about it is when, where, what. Because that call is there. That race is there set before you. So be encouraged. You are valuable. You are valuable. When you think, when the devil says you're not, you are valuable. You have purpose. Without you, we got here this morning, we got here late. I woke up this morning with a migraine. All I could do this morning was throw up. I got to preach today, God. By faith. By faith. By faith, my knees were around that toilet. As everything within me, not praises, as everything within me was coming. We ended up being late. And guess what? People were in the parking lot. Praise team was in the parking lot waiting. Because nobody was here to unlock the door. Because our pastor's out of town. 
Uh, one of our head greeters is out of town. It's usually here with the doors unlocked. So here we arrived late. People's waiting. But people went into action. I tell you what, we came inside. Man, we normally have breakfast back there. Pastor usually gets some biscuits for the praise team. We have coffee going. David wasn't here. The coffee wasn't going. Pastor wasn't here. No biscuits on the table. Ben comes out. Hey, you think everybody would like this kind of biscuit? I said, go for it. I thought he would come back with a handful of biscuits. I think he was somebody blessed on the way here like Jesus did. Multiplied on his whole bag full. We had Rhett that came in this morning. We had Rhett. These diffusers going that are helping to purify the air and everything. Rhett was over here filling them with water and putting drops of oil, essential oils in them for us. Does he normally do that? No. But there was a race that was set before him at this moment. He saw a need. I'm here. What can I do to help? That's what we need. That's what we need. This morning, I really didn't want to play. I, as I was in the back, the band was up here. Aaron, Andy, and Lindy was up here playing. I'm like, man, that sounds good. <laughs> it's like, man, I'll just sit out there today. You know, but I've got a part that I play. You know, there to help with that. You know, each of us have a part to play. And when you don't show up, we miss out. Other people have to make do. So we thank you. The announcements that we have, number one, if you'd like to volunteer a service in any area of this church, the Lighthouse Church, you can go to lhchampton.com, serve volunteer, or we got some forms back here that you, whatever area you want to feel led to ministry in. And the other announcement that we have is tonight, Celebrate Recovery, is every Sunday night, 5.30, if you want to eat with us, come, eat with us, 6 o'clock, that party happens because we celebrate recovery. I'm on the road to recovery. I'm celebrating victories in my life. And I thank God for it. Thank God. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the word that's come forth. We thank you that you are here with us, that you're always with us. And as we turn our focus on you, keep our eyes on you, you're there to speak to us, to encourage us. When we are weak, your strength is perfected inside of us, Lord God. We're grateful for that. We thank you for that. So, Father, I just speak a blessing upon these people today as they go forth. May they understand and realize, hey, my life is for a purpose. It's not just for myself, but it's for others. And the reason that I'm blessed is so that I can be a blessing to others. Father, we rejoice in that. We rejoice in you, and we speak blessings and life to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us for today's podcast. You can find out more about us at lhchampton.com. See you soon. Thank you.